This podcast is proudly part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more Kaiju and Tokusatsu goodness, go to kaijuramenmedia.com. Standing by. Complete. Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan, and this is Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. In this installment, I'll be discussing Kamen Rider episodes 82 to 83. The monstrous Jelly Wolf, the Rush Hour of Terror, Kaijin Kuragi Gurufu, Kyofu no Rasuawa. General Black unleashes Gelshocker's new Kaijin Jelly Wolf, who has the power to summon lightning bolts. Their plan? Destroy Shinjuku Station. But when this is discovered by a boy, Hongo and Team Rider fight to protect the child and prevent the mass murder of thousands. Alrighty, we're settling into the new status quo with Gel Shocker, getting to some more Monster of the Week action here. This week, our combo monster, because that's how Gel Shocker works now. <laughs> I love how the intro to this still says it's Shocker and not Gel Shocker. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to update the theme song or if that was just too much work or if they like the branding or if Gel Shocker just really isn't all that different from. OG Vanilla Shocker. I don't know, but this is what we're operating with right now. So, our monster of the week, our Kaijin of the week, is a Jelly Wolf, which sounds kind of funny. <laughs> you might have noticed the title of the episode this week Peanut Butter and Jelly Wolf. I regret nothing. <laughs> It's because he's a combination of a wolf and a jellyfish. Now, I will give the writers of the show credit. They are combining animals that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. Are they on something? I swear, the writers and the designers on this show are all on drugs because now we're just getting really weird at this point with the kaijin. So he basically looks like a werewolf. So picture General, not a General, Colonel Zol in his werewolf form. But he's uh, half of his head is covered with a jellyfish. He has a jellyfish tentacle for his right hand. He's got some jellyfish bits on his left side. It's wild, to say the least. But the episode opens with him waking up Frankenstein style. And General Black says that he was assembled, quote unquote, perfectly by Gelshocker, Gelshocker, whichever pronunciation you prefer, by all of their biologists and computers. Right, guys. Right. Right. You always hype your kaijin when you first wake them up or make them. And then, uh, well, you know, things play out how they usually do on the show. And then we get to another uh, part where Jelly Wolf 
is sneaking around to get into a power station to run amok, and it's shot very moodily. It's it's eerie. It's perfect for Halloween season, which is when I am watching uh, watching these episodes and recording about it. So it's very fitting right now. And then we find out what Jelly Wolf's powers are when he is confronted by a pair of security guards. He can summon lightning from the sky because, well, actually, they give an explanation for it later. It's a, They give you a little bit of a science lesson about how lightning is supposed to work. It's because positive and negative charges clash in the air in clouds, and then they discharge the lightning. And he says that that's later that that's how his powers work. His right hand or the tentacle is positive and the and his left hand is negative. And then, you know, he claps them and then lightning happens. Sure. All right. It's as good an explanation as any. Keep in mind, this is basically Silver Age comic book logic. So <laughs> I'm not going to question it too much. All right, and then, you know, shenanigans go down at the power station. We'll talk more about those in the awards. So, then we get introduced to, well, we cut, I should say, to Common Kenny Force HQ, and we're introduced once again to our new writer girl who has one personality trait, which is that she loves to eat. She loves food. And there's a point where the other girl's like, you shouldn't eat too much. It's bad for your health and it's bad for your skin. And she says, oh, that her uh, large appetite is an indication of health. You know what, Choco? I'm glad that you're able to eat that much right now. But trust me, trust me, when you get older, you won't have the metabolism of a hyperactive anime girl. Can't last forever. Enjoy it now, but it can't last forever. At least, I don't think it can. You might be one of the lucky ones. Who knows? But, you know, it's played for laughs. But, again, that's the only real personality trait that she has at the moment. And, honestly, out of all of the writer girls, I think she's contributed the least out of any of them. And we've had the writer girls around now in one form or another for about 70 episodes. So that's saying a lot. And then we find out that the, <laughs> the <laughs> as the guys from that other Toku podcast were saying last time, they put the X up, the sho- the Gel Shocker goons, and they disguise themselves as regular humans because taking your costumes off and changing clothes is for chumps. And when that happened, I sat there and I went, because the people that we saw with the camera trick, you know, the classic camera trick you know, of a jump cut, when they make the disguise, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe because they look so perfect, you know, with the silhouette, the original silhouette, if you paid close attention to the guys in the costumes, I kind of wondered, are these the actual stuntmen just without their costumes? If that is, that's cool. It's good. It's nice. We actually get to see their faces. So kudos to you show if that was the case. And then we're introduced to another common Kenny who is not part of the common Kenny force which is an interesting twist on things and he gets accosted by the gel shocker goons gel shocker goons and then he runs off to try to talk to a police officer and report all of this and so like oh my gosh there are monsters after me and the cop doesn't believe him obviously so I just sat there and I thought so does this mean he's crying jelly wolf 
Okay, as clever as I thought that was the reason I'm doing the sad trombone this time is because it was for the goons and not for Jelly Wolf. See? Even I can properly judge my own bad puns. All right, and then they, so the kid's running around trying to get away, and then he does meet the common candy force, a couple members of them, and then they switch hats, and take, uh, the uh, the kid in common candy force takes the scar, the red scarf off and puts it on the other kid, so that way the goons will chase him instead. And I'm sure there's probably some sort of significance to the caps and everything. I know there was... For yellow caps, if you've seen Godzilla's Revenge, all monsters attack. You know about a Chiro who wore a yellow cap. Kids actually in the late 60s, early 70s were doing that so they could be seen by car drivers and not get hit by cars because there was a lot of urban traffic congestion at the time. And the number of children who were getting hit by cars was actually on the rise. So this is a way to curtail it. I don't know if the same if it's the same thing here. But he ends up in a what looks like a city park. He goes by a fountain, the decoy, and he gets accosted by the gel shocker goons who are in construction paper mode. And what's hilarious is I definitely saw for a second, I definitely saw one of the actors holding that up before revealing himself. Oops. I mean, it's pretty small compared to a lot of other things, but oops. <laughs> I'll let it slide, though. But then, after that, predictably, Hongo shows up to uh, pick his first fight with the Kaijin of the Week. And what was kind of confusing is I'm not sure Jelly Wolf knew that Hongo was Kamen Rider because he seemed pretty surprised when Hongo announced that fact. Okay? You're a little confusing, show. You're a little confusing. Also... Why isn't Gelshocker, Gelshocker, actually telling their Kaijin who their enemy is? That seems a little... Uh, well, it seems like an oversight, to say the least. Just saying. Just saying. Although we do get the return of a past rider move during this fight, the Raidanee Block, which... Actually looked pretty cool. Didn't quite make the awards this week, but it, it you know we had a it was shot very nice. Where as the kaijin and the common rider are jumping up into the air, common rider goes up, grabs him, and then knees him in the chest while in midair. Pretty cool, pretty cool. But then because he got electrocuted a handful of times, he had a hundred thousand volts charged through him. And I actually tried to look up. I was like, how much voltage can actually kill a normal person? From what I could tell, I was getting different terms and measurements and numbers and things like that. But near as I could tell, about 10,000 volts will kill a, a normal person. So since Hongo is a cyborg and he's superhuman, he's taking 100,000. And it's not pleasant and it's messing with him, but he's surviving. And the, by the end of this fight... Because Common Rider is Gamera now. He loses the first round and then comes back and wins later. And in this case, he who fights and runs away, or in his case, rides away, lives to fight another day. Because he just runs away. Run away! Run away! Discretion is the better part of valor, I suppose. Right, Hongo? And then we cut to another scene where we find out that Tachibana is going to Shinjuku Station to meet up with an old friend of his, a guy named Nakamura. It goes back to their riding days, according to the writer girls. 
And then we find out that Jelly Wolf, and I don't understand how this how this is supposed to work. Because it looked like one thing, and then it turned out to be another. So, help me out here, heroes of the internet. I need you to Stanley style no-prize this. Jelly Wolf, predictably, finds Nakamura, knocks him over, and then basically lays on top of him. I wasn't sure if Nakamura was dead or not at this point. And then kind of, you know, cackles a little bit, and then he disappears. And then Nakamura gets up and he's acting like Jelly Wolf. I was not, when I was watching this, I thought he magically possessed him, which was just odd. But then by the end of the episode, we see the real Nakamura who gets used as a human shield for a little bit by Jelly Wolf. So I'm thinking, hold on, what just happened here? Did he shapeshift? Did he possess him? If he possessed him, did he unpossess him? Which doesn't really make sense because we saw him discard that disguise at one point. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. If I'm going to knock this episode for anything major, it's that. Because that was just confusing. There's a great line in the next scene where he's continuing the deception. We'll talk about that in the awards, a little bit of a spoiler. But we find out that this disguise is not perfect. The issue with this, and I'm looking at this and I I wasn't sure. It's like, is this just too easy against Silver Age comic book logic? Is it too obvious that people should have been figuring this out? Or is it something that even, I mean, it seems like even Jelly Wolf was surprised by this, but he still gives off an electrical discharge while in disguise like this so there's a point where tachibana touches his shoulder or something like that and he gets a shock he puts his hand on the door handle of a car and electrifies the car and tachibana gets shocked a little bit by that and then they get into the car and because the electrical charge is so strong it actually turns the car on before tachibana puts the key in all of that is pretty amusing and I'm surprised, especially when we're 80 plus episodes in, that Tachibana isn't just thinking, hmm, something weird's going on. I'm not standing on a shag carpet where my friend is just, you know, running his feet together to make a static charge. So, it, I, I, what you would think that I think something weird's going on. Maybe some shocker things are uh, up to no good, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. He doesn't think about it, so he just continues on, but it's a nice little way to indicate that the disguise isn't perfect. And then we get to the next scene, and he goes into the racing club, Tachibana Racing Club. Everyone's acting, is conducting themselves as normal, not, but Jelly Wolf's goal is to basically kill everyone there just by touching them and electrocuting them. And Hongo, on the other hand, because his rider sense is tingling, and he can hear electrical current, which... Okay. <laughs> I am I am Hongo. I am, I'm a cyborg. I could do whatever the plot needs me to do to catch the bad guy red-handed. Because of course he can. So he figures it out. Tries to send Nakamura's the bad guy. <laughs> Tachibana doesn't believe him, but then Jelly Wolf reveals his true form. And, you know, unfortunate things happen, and Tachibana, and I'm trying to think who else, I think it was the kid, 
or somebody, or one of the writer girls, I'm trying to remember, but a couple of the characters get captured and held hostage. We go back to uh, just outside Shinjuku Station with the very colorful Shocker Goons, and we get the you know the info dump, the monologuing, you know, like in The Incredibles, where Jelly Wolf explains how his powers work and what their goal is and everything, and then because he does think he he really does think after that fight in the racing club that he has killed Hongo and then Hongo just shows up a few buildings away in a really cool looking shot I might add you know here I come to save the day and he's like what you're still alive and then we get a really cool line again in contention for the award but didn't quite get it <laughs> just sounds real a little bit funny to me admittedly where Hongo says it's easy for me to feign death right right I, I think that's a little bit of bluster on your part Hongo but I'm okay with that and then we get a really cool action sequence that I will talk more uh, talk about more in the awards. And then we get something I haven't really seen in a while. If that, I don't know, has this been done on the show? Not like this. This is the kind of stuff that I've gotten used to seeing in Super Sentai and Power Rangers. I haven't seen it here, but it's shout out to my friend Chris Cook over at One Cross Radio, among other podcasts. The unnecessary backflips on a pier while he's fighting Jelly Wolf, which just Look dang cool again. Was in contention for the award, but didn't get it. And then our finishing move for this particular kaijin was uh, it's the rider swing. That's what the subtitle said. It's a giant swing. If you're familiar with professional wrestling, again, shout out to August Ragone for telling us about the pro wrestling influence on Common Rider. But it's a giant swing. He grabs he grabs the kaijin by the ankles and then swings him around, tosses him away. Well, I could have swore. I could have swore when I was listening to him that he said, Raida Fling, which is kind of funny if you, because that's exactly what he's doing. He's flinging him away. So I kind of wish it actually was Rider Fling, but I'm sure it's just me not quite hearing the words correctly with the Japanese accent. And then, you know, like I said, that's when we find out during that, the whole thing is when we find out that Nakamura is still alive. But, you know, thankfully, unlike in some past episodes, our hostage, our bit one-off character, doesn't die this time around, which is kind of nice. Kind of nice. So, with that, that's all my notes for that particular episode. Let's move on to the next one. Monstrous Borbiton defeat Kamen Rider with Insanity Gas. Kaijin Inakubutan Hakyo Gasu de Raida o Tausei. Gelshaker abducts a death row inmate moments before his execution of and forcibly transforms him into the hybrid Kaijin Borbiton. Able to spew a poisonous gas that drives people insane, the monster is unleashed upon the city where he battles Kamen Rider inflicting a wound on Hongo's thigh that refuses to heal. Can Kamen Rider overcome this injury to save Japan? Alrighty, I'm gonna be honest with you, heroes of the internet. This was the lesser of the two episodes that I'm covering this week. I didn't like this one quite as much. Again, I, I do appreciate, I will say, the Kaijin suit for this one, Borbiton, 
does look really good and also continues the trend of the most mismatched animals ever getting combined into these kaijin. I'm starting to think, what did they, did they just have a dartboard with random animals and they just throw one dart, they blindfold a guy, they throw one dart, and then they pick it up, pick up another dart and throw it just to see what, what lands where and then figure out how to make those designs work. I'm not sure. This one... We're getting back. I've talked. We, you know, Travis and I have talked before about certain plots getting recycled in *Common Rider* as time has gone on. We're kind of getting this again, but at least this time with this first one, I'm going to talk about. It's something that they haven't done in a really long time, and I think they've only done one other time, which is kidnapping a death row inmate and making him into the kaijin. When this one starts, it's actually at the prison. We get to see a Japanese Catholic priest, which is kind of interesting. You don't typically see stuff like that in these shows because you know, Christianity is not a commonly practiced religion in Japan. It's less than 1% of the population, I think, 1% at the absolute most, which, again, like I said, is interesting and they're trying to do the whole last rites ask him his last words his last words were in contention for the awards this week which is he says i will i will crawl my way out of hell and murder all of you great way to establish how evil your villain is what's weird is when we get to the next scene and we get to see the new shockters you know, the, the guys who are on all white, they just have the different face mask design. They're the big red bat mask. You know, they have those instead of the other ones now. The funny thing is, I think the last time they did this, I think the death row inmate was pretty willing to go along with the kaijin modification. This time around, when General Black told him that that was what they were going to do, he didn't really seem all that excited about it, and they kind of had to force him to do it, which I found a little bit strange. You would think someone as evil as him was a, about to face execution that I would think you would be open to the possibility. You know, I get to keep living and I get incredible power and I get to go kill people because that's what I do. It's, just, it's a little bit odd. I would have thought that he would, would have gone around, uh, gone along with it, but I guess that's to show you just how evil gel shocker, gel shocker is the fact that they'll take someone who's already immensely evil and, Make him to make him into a kaijin. He doesn't necessarily want to go through with it. Like I said, saying a lot. Also, I do want to mention really quick: these last couple episodes continue the confusing trend of none of the title subtitles matching. Because what the Shout Factory TV and Tubi listings say is one thing, and then when you see the subtitles in the episode itself, it says another thing. Whatever. I'm just going with what I think are the best sounding titles at this point. So, we also get to something that is kind of recycling one of Gel Shocker slash Vanilla Shocker's favorite things, but it's not really that. Although, I do feel like it kind of ripped off, well, they did it first. I, you know, I, my first novel, Pandora's Box, uh, featured a, we'll say, a zombie virus sort of a thing that made people go insane. And I thought it was really clever when I did that. And then I saw it 28 days later and like, darn it, they beat me to it. Well, now I find out that shocker, well, I should say common writer beat me to it years before I was even born because Borbiton, who is a boar and a beetle, get it? 
<laughs> his superpower, one of them, is that he can spew a poisonous gas that will make people go insane and then eventually kill them. Although the death part tends to happen at different speeds depending on who you are because you know the first two guys that he tested on they go insane for about 20 seconds and then die whereas other people don't die nearly as quick which actually makes some sort of physiological sense you know you stress out the body that much it's just going to wear out faster basically you make people have heart attacks so i kind of like this idea it's not quite mind control which is the plot device i was trying to get to it's not quite mind control but, you know, it, it does seem, as, as we'll see later, that the madness does seem to make people a little bit more susceptible to suggestion. So, like I said, it's an interesting concept. It's one of the better ones that our bad guys have had for a while. I would also like to remark that Borbiton looks like he st- stole his shoulder pads from the Road Warriors of WWE fame. I'm just saying... They're big and spiky. The funny thing is, is he beat them to it by, I would say, at least a decade. I don't remember exactly when the World Warriors started. I know they were pretty popular in the 80s, but I'm still guessing that he beat them to it by a couple of years. Maybe there were some other wrestlers who had big old spiky shoulder pads like that. If there were, let me know. I'd, lo- I'd like to know a bit more about that. After that, we had uh, our one of our first fight scenes here, which is uh, was Hongo with Borbiton and some Gelshocker goons. The funny thing was is that he never transforms in this. He fights them by uh, by himself, which I liked. I wish we could see more stuff like this. The choreography was pretty good, so I have to give credit for that. You know, I I, I did enjoy that. We should do it a little bit more often. That way, when he does transform, it makes those moments pretty special. Although, uh, right after that, he does transform just to fight Borbiton himself. And then we find out, I'm just going to say this right now. This injury ends up being the impetus for the episode. And I think there was a missed opportunity here. I think it would have been interesting for Hongo to have been hit with the insanity gas. And then that becomes the thing he has to deal with. Maybe he's constantly fighting the madness so that the whole time... And how is he going to overcome that? As it stands, he never gets hit with the gas. So we don't even know if him being a cyborg can protect him. Which is, you know, they've played into that before. So we don't know about that. He gets hit by a secondary power that was getting hyped up by General Black right before this big fight. And what does it boil down to? Borbiton impales... Common Rider in the thigh with his horn. Okay. I wasn't too impressed with that. I'm like, that's the best you got. Okay. Now, I maybe I missed a detail. I'm not sure, but I think they were trying to say that there was something about this wound, like it didn't want to heal. It was just kept it just kept bleeding all the time. By the way, their fake blood is ruby red. It is really bright. Almost comically bright, I might add. But this is probably the most blood that I've seen on the show in a while, I will say. And it's coming from one person. So for the next couple of scenes, Kamen Rider and Hongo are is just pressing down on this wound that just keeps gushing. And you know, we see him later, he's trying he made a makeshift bandage. He rips off his sleeve, showing off his big old buff arm, you know, and 
they, as Hongo, I should say. And, you know, he tears it up and tries to use that to stop it. And he gets found and taken to the hospital. And then the doctors are trying to tell him that, you know, he can't go off and do th- and fight anymore. But he says he has to. And I think he basically just says, I don't care. I'm just going to go do it again. I might have missed something. I don't know. I just know that he just leaves and to go deal with the problem. Problem is that in the next scene, when he shows up to take care of our bad guys who are running amok again to you know use more of the insanity gas, the bandage is too low on Hongo's thigh. I know I'm. This might seem nitpicky, but it's pretty obvious that it's that it's too low. It was closer to the knee where. In uh, the previous scene, when he actually got stabbed, and it's hard to miss because they focused in on it so much, it's higher up, it's closer to his hip, and that actually makes more sense because if it was closer to the knee, the damage would have been different. He would have been hunched over more. It just it completely it's it's the difference of a, you know at least a good six inches, I would say five six inches it makes all the difference because the higher up you go on the thigh, the thicker the leg is, and you know, it just like I said, it just makes a tremendous amount of difference. So it annoyed me that for the next scene he had it closer to the knee, and it just took me out of it a little bit. And then when he hen- when he transforms, he doesn't have the bandage anymore, but he's still reeling from the injury. Okay, and it's at that point that I noticed that even though it's boar beaton, so a boar and a beetle, he has a crab claw. I have no idea why he has a crab claw, other than. They decided to give him a crab claw. And there's no mention about him being part crab or anything like that. Well, then we get the little complication of Tachibana shows up, and he had been at the hospital reeling from the insanity gas and everything, but I, you know, he escaped, I suppose. Again, I might have missed a detail. I was taking notes. And a lot of things can happen in a short amount of time on this show. Where crazy Tachibana does try to pick a fight with Kamen Rider and while Kamen Rider's trying to deal with Borbiton, which was a nice complication. I did enjoy that. But then by sheer force of will, because he is Tachibana, <laughs> he's able to resist it, and to much to the shock of Borbiton. And then he, when he asks him, how did you do that? He says, you think I'd sell my soul to a devil like you? <laughs> it's a great line. It was in it was in contention for best line award this week. Again, in something else, the way this episode ends, wasn't this was a contention for a couple of awards, but we get a new attack, a new move this time around. It's the cyclone attack. What does that involve? It involves Hongo getting on his motorcycle as common rider and playing chicken with Borbiton and winning because apparently he could hit the kaijin with the motorcycle, and then they just explode. Because why not? Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> At this point, Hongo has more moves than a Tekken character. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, why not at this point? So, with that, let's move into the awards. These are fun little awards that we here on Henshin Men give out to some outstanding elements of the television episodes or movie, because we occasionally cover movies on here, that we've covered this week. Starting with the Henshin Kick for the best stunt or fight scene. So mine goes to something, 
spoiler warning, all of the awards this week go to the first episode because it really was just the better episode of the two. So this first one goes to Common Rider on top of a car as it's moving because he jumps onto the roof of the car and he's trying to get at Jelly Wolf who is in the backseat and some shark and some Gale Shocker goons are driving. I'm giving it to that because everything in this is real. This is well before the time of CGI and green screens and all of that. And I think this is the kind of stunt work that we take for granted now because we found other ways to do it or we've seen it a lot. But keep in mind, this is being done on a Japanese television show in the early 70s. This is normally movie caliber stuff. And the fact that it's a, these are real stunt actors on a real car. I'm not sure exactly how fast it was going, but we've got a guy in a costume everyone's in costumes. Well, you got a guy in a costume clinging to the top of the you know, top of this car on the roof. You got other stuntmen getting out of the window as gel shocker goons and trying to hit him to knock him off. It was incredible. And I have to give it to stuff like that because no one does stuff like this anymore. This is an art form that needs more appreciation and we need to see stuff like this a heck of a lot more often. I want to say. Next up, we have Takatoku for the best special effect. All right, again, going back to the first episode. As usual, I'm a sucker for miniatures. Mostly because you don't see Toei, at least at this point, doing a lot of stuff with miniatures. That's much more of a Subaraya Productions thing. Because, obviously, their, their henshin heroes are giants. And they were founded by A.G. Subaraya, who did a lot of miniature work. But we get some here because the power plant that Jelly Wolf attacks early on in that first episode blows up after he's done. And it was actually pretty impressive. They're getting better. They're getting better. Now, admittedly, I've watched some newer Toei stuff. I believe it was Kaku Ranger. I watched a little bit of Kaku Ranger last night. And I'm going to be honest with it, even 20 years after that in the 90s, I still don't think they do miniatures as good as Subaraya Productions does, but it's still pretty impressive, and I did like what I saw here. Next up, we have coming at you for the best line. So this one was just funny. I really have to think this is the writers having a little bit of fun. It cracked me up. So this is the scene immediately following when Jelly Wolf has possessed or whatever. He just disguised himself as Nakamura, Tachibana's friend. And what had happened was that Nakamura wandered off to go take care of a phone call. And now he's coming back, and that's when Jelly Wolf accosted him. He's coming to see Tachibana, and Tachibana asks him, what was that call about? And then Jelly Wolf, disguised as Nakamura, says, nothing, mistaken identity. In context, it's ridiculously funny. It is so funny. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, did yourself, show. Yeah, did yourself. I kind of want to steal that now. Just saying. And now for my favorite award, WTH, what the headshin for the craziest moment. I had to talk about it because it's a huge plot point. But it is the fact that Jelly Wolf can possess people. I just wasn't prepared for that. Even though we've seen kaijin who are able to conveniently disguise themselves like this in previous episodes actually seeing it 
and just kind of being confused about how it's supposed to work. Wasn't expecting it. I still don't know the logistics of how it's supposed to work. As I pointed out, that's why it gets the award this week. Compared to other things that have gotten this award in the past, this is mild, but it still just took me out of it a little bit. All right. And now, heroes of the internet, it's time for Minute to Henshin It! This is the part of the show where I give my final thoughts in one minute or less. On my mark, get set, go. Like I said, the show is getting settled into its new normal. We're getting... I don't want to say standard episodes, but we are standard episodes for the new status quo, I will say. I've not been incredibly impressed with Gelshocker, Gelshocker, whatever, so far. It's been a lot of the same. I don't know what exactly makes this incarnation different other than we have a new general. I am still waiting for a lot of things like the shock, the intriguer on the Shocker leader to be paid off. As I mentioned, the first episode here of this pair was definitely the better one. Just more interesting, a little bit wilder, more cohesive in its storytelling. And, you know, just everything all around was just better. But, like I said, it's getting settled into things, and I can't fault it for that. So I'm looking forward to seeing more, especially after I saw the episode preview for what we have coming up next. There we go. I like using my entire minute here, unlike, well, Travis used to. He just liked getting stuff done in, like, 30 seconds because that's how Travis rolled. But before I get to the credits here, I do want to mention that we do have some interesting changes coming up. In the next episode of, well, the next episode of our Common Writer 1971 coverage, because we are going to take a little bit of a break, and I'll explain that what I mean by that in a second. But I will be bringing on YouTuber... Blue Nova, who has been doing, among other things, some videos on the you know the, the different stretches of Common Rider episodes. He's just discovered the show, actually, it sounds like, for the first time. So I'll be bringing him on to talk about episodes 84 and 85. And I asked him which episodes he wanted, and he specifically chose these. I wasn't sure why. And then, like I said, I saw the episode preview, and I found out why. It's because episode 84 is directed by Ishinomori himself. Yes, the man who created, the manga artist who created Kamen Rider and Super Sentai got to direct an episode. Now I get it. If you're listening to this, Blue Nova, I get it now. So that's going to be exciting. The other thing that I'm letting you know is that that may not be for a little while for a couple of episodes because we've got some special episodes in the interim that are a little bit more timely. One, I, as of this recording, will be traveling to Chicago. I'll be day tripping over to Chicago as I live about three hours away to see Shin Ultraman at the Chicago Film Festival. I can't begin to tell you how excited I am that it's within reasonable driving distance. I don't know if the movie will be be given some sort of a limited wide release or whatever, since I'm not sure about that or however else the movie will be shown here in the States. I am going over there. I ha- My brother is going with me. I'm hoping to meet a couple of friends there. And I will do a special podcast on it because 
Travis and I, when we did a little episode talking about the trailer, we promised we would do that, and I'm keeping that promise, even if it is just me. So expect a very interesting special episode of Henshin over that. It will be spoilerific. I'm warning you right now. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I'll make sure that you know, at least certain parts of the, you know, we'll set it up so that the spoilers will be at a different section so you don't have to worry about that. The other thing is the newest Common Rider series, Black Sun, is going to start apparently simulcasting on Amazon Prime at the end of October. And it is supposed to be a sequel to Common Rider Black. That's the one they single out specifically. I don't know if Black RX is involved in that. So, for that occasion, my friend Tommy from the Giant Size Violence podcast, I will be bringing him on, and we are going to do a special episode covering the first two episodes of Common Rider Black that are currently available with subtitles officially from Toei's YouTube channel. So we're doing that as a little bit of a lead-up to Common Rider Black Sun, and then... If things go as planned, I will be going on to Giant Size Violence to talk about the first episode of Black Sun with Tommy. So we're doing a little crossover here. So, as I said, Tommy will come on Henshin Men to talk about the first two episodes of Come Rider Black. And then I'm going on Giant Size Violence, his show, to talk about the first episode of Come Rider Black Sun. Let, just letting you all know about that ahead of time. And then after that, Blue Nova coming on to talk about episodes 84 and 85 of the original Common Rider. And then, also, big announcement to let you know about, I was contacted by my friend Drew over at the Cellcast, which is a podcast about animation. And he's been an avid fan of my podcast, Monster and Phone Vault, Power Trip, and this one. And he messaged me and said, hey, any number of Common Rider episodes that you need a guest on, I'll come on. So, making it known here, starting with the episode after Blue Nova's appearance, Drew will be my regular co-host for most of the rest of my Common Rider coverage until the final episode, and then hopefully at least one episode on the two Common Rider movies related to the original show that are on Toei's YouTube channel again, which those episodes will feature the return of Travis Alexander. I know you're all excited about that. So, a lot of big changes coming to the show. <laughs> a lot of guests. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to get started with it. So, in the meantime, heroes of the internet, thank you for listening to Henshin Men, a tokusatsu appreciation podcast. You can find links to all of our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to more of Travis on the backlog of the Kaiju Weekly podcast and listen to more of me on the Monster Island Film Vault and our sister podcast in the Kaiju Rama Podcast Network, The Power Trip. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podchaser. And until next time, what am I going to say? Hongo suffered a henshin lesion thanks to Borbiton.
This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.